Magic? Murder? Problematic, misogynistic undertones? Join us as we delve into one of Britain's best-loved TV shows. So grab your duffel coat, don your curly wig, and dig up that 90s character actor as we welcome you to Podcast Macabre, the Jonathan Creek Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Jonathan Creek Podcast. Welcome back, guys. Uh, We're... Now entering week four of lockdown. Gosh, is it week four? Yeah. I mean, it's it's either week 100 or it's day four. (laughs) I've got nothing in between. It's just one or the other. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I hope you're all uh, battling on well. I say battling on, I'm kind of echoing the wartime rhetoric of the country. We're not not in a war. That's, yeah, we should probably not uh, contribute to that. (laughs) Yeah, just stay inside, eat lots of chocolate. What yeah, it's Easter. It's Easter. Yeah, enjoy um, yourselves. I got a chocolate bunny from my mum posted oh, yeah. towards uh, posted to me this week, and also got a lovely um, Smarties Easter egg from David. Thank you. Yes, and thank you, Callum, for my Milky Bar egg as oh, well. Lovely, yeah, very no nice. Worries. We're we're doing Easter here, guys. Hope you guys are doing it too. Enjoy. Um, so here we are with podcast. A carbs uh, deconstruction of Ghosts Forge. Yeah, that's right. We're on season three, episode four. Um, and uh, I think possibly for the first and hopefully only time ever in the uh, podcast Macabre series, we probably should actually issue a trigger warning because yeah. about two thirds of the way and when we start talking about the reveal, um, it gets really dark, guys. It gets so, really um, dark and it's handled in a very specific way yeah. that um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail later. But yeah, um, there is some some interesting um, topical discussions around sexual abuse and uh, incest family. It's very complicated. Yeah, it, it, it was not what I was expecting or remembered from when I'd seen this episode before. I completely so. blocked it from my memory. Um, um, yeah. And that's also a theme running through uh, <laughs> Jonathan Creek. So uh, a nice link uh, as we pace our way through this episode. Absolutely. First of all, just like to say, what I do remember is um, Ghosts Forge, that title I always remember. Well, you, one you of said the... beforehand that this is one of your favourite episodes. Yeah, I don't think that anymore. <laughs> um, like, like, I thought, because it, 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 I, I instantly think of the reveal and what I thought was like really important and hinged on everything. And it turns out it wasn't important at all. I, um yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But um, it's yeah, it's kind of it's a waste of time, really, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And therefore, this is a waste of time. But we knew that already. Um, we've known that for nearly three series. <laughs> um, so yeah, buckle up. So yeah, so it starts um, on a positive note. Now we uh, don't very often give Jonathan Creek much credit, but. What I will say is a smile spread across my face at the opening bits of this episode because <laughs> continuity. Why? Okay, I'm I'm interested. What are you gonna say? Adam Klaus is back from the south of France. Now I thought this. Yeah. Immediately. Brilliant. Oh yeah. Right. But he's not, is he? Is he not? No. Oh. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Because we have Adam Klaus, the return of Adam Klaus, which is wonderful in itself. Um, and he's in the back of a uh, of a jag. Yeah. His kind of car, and he's got his girlfriend in the back seat, and they're kissing. And it's yeah. a person we haven't seen before. And he says, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Um, you've been off in the land of raw fish. 
And I was like, what part oh. of France is about raw fish? Oh, wait, no, he's talking about her. And then she hands him uh, a kimono, um, which has got Japanese writing on it. So she's been away to Japan. That's what that story is. Right. So there's absolutely no reference to him being away in the south of France. But they have, they've gone far enough to have a return story. Yep. They've made it about a new character we've never met before. And also we haven't seen him for the last two episodes. I know. So it felt... <sighs> there's no, no, no continuity there. I'm, I'm so, so sorry, upset. David. I'm so sorry. You can so, see his face. So what I did was just replace what I was hearing with things in my own head. <laughs> things that make more sense. Yeah. yeah. You're doing a lot more work there. That's a shame. That's um, a shame. Well, uh, I don't know if you can hear this. Scribe that one off. That's me scribbling out continuity. So, Adam, yeah, Adam Klaus has got a new girlfriend that we've never met before who's been away in Japan for some reason and she gives him a kimono and yeah. he goes, oh, that's nice. And then it's, he seems to walk... He seems to get straight out of the jag and into a florist's. Yeah, yeah, he does. And do you live next door to a florist? Yeah. Was that not your house? That was her house. Okay, I don't understand this relationship, but it's all right. We're not going to find out any more about it. Yeah, it's, it's not important. Um, um, so he goes into a florist yeah. and he meets the lovely um, Gina. Gina Bellman. Gina, Gina Bellman, Bellman uh, who, again, most people will probably recognise from playing Jane, who was the kooky one in Coupling. Yeah. Uh, our second Coupling appearance after Black Canary. Which is lovely. Um, and I saw Gina Bellman play Vivian Lee in a great play called Orson's Shadow at the Southwark Playhouse back in about 2015, I think. And she was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I think you um, said she was the best thing in it. She you? was, she was. Uh, I mean, it was it was strong across the board about um, uh, when Orson Welles and Laurence Olivier collaborated on doing Ian Esco's um, Rhinoceros. Ah, yeah. Uh, uh, on Broadway. So it was, yeah, really, really, I don't know, it was a West End actually, it was, yeah, for the National. Um, and it's about that in sort of, yeah, late 50s, early 60s, them doing that. Of course, production. the National would have been the old Vic, the National Theatre Company. At that time. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so really, really lovely to see her in this. Um, not in it a great deal. Um, no, but she does a great job. She does, yeah. Um, in spite of everything. Um, I mean, I, I, oh, I think then we, so we kind of know that he goes into this florist to buy his flowers for his girlfriend who's just returned from Japan. And he then is dictating the note that she's to write on it. And uh, he says, hey, I, I'm falling in love with you. And of course, they immediately have an affair. Yeah. Um, and I think we're as an audience meant to go, oh, Adam, you terrible, you know, cad, you, oh, you're such a ladies' man. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, the more, and maybe it's to do with the generational thing, you know, the more time that's passed, I just look at it and go, oh, it's just him being an awful human again. Yeah, see, I find it odd in general that this episode opens with Adam Klaus because generally, in sort of, the rules of the structure of making a narrative yeah. in something filmed is that you know your opening scene is gonna is gonna establish sort of the characters that are gonna be important in this episode it's weird to establish the subplot before anything about what the actual episode's about because in my head yeah. i was like oh is adam Klaus part of this and and i was like oh is the florist part of the ghost forged nah, oh no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> it absolutely doesn't matter so it's weird that that they hinge the opening on that no it's a really weird structure and i noticed this is directed by richard holthouse oh. um who i don't think has directed one before no and there is a very different feel to how this episode is structured I mean, to say we ease into it is an understatement. We kind of 
accidentally end up watching a Jonathan Creek mystery. It's really yeah. subtle of when the mystery started. And we, you know, looked at each other a couple of times and gone, what, is this, the, is this it? Is this important? I, I don't know, I'm just going to write down everything that happens. Um, because then we cut back to Maddie in her yeah. flat. Yeah. Which I think does actually look a little bit like the last flat. I was going to say, I think it's the same flat. So still, we do have continuity. We do. Okay. For two episodes. I mean, I can't uncross out that, but fine. Um, so, yeah, so Jonathan and Maddie are in Maddie's flat. And um, Jonathan's reading a letter from her friend Mimi Tranter. They were journalists together at some newspaper or other. And yeah. she's due to pop round. But they're interrupted by what Maddie Magellan refers to as that ruddy oompa band. Yeah. What it actually is, for some inexplicable reason, is a New Orleans Mardi Gras marching band. It's and I don't know why that exists in London in the that. middle of the day. Yeah. I don't know why there's a why there's a why there's a New Orleans Mardi Gras happening outside her window. Yeah, but it's, it's not happening so outside its window. In the story it's happening outside her window. In actual fact it's happening in a studio. Like they yeah. that's recorded. Yeah very professionally but but it's a but it's not a particularly impressive piece of music it's like so it can't be stock because yeah. i don't think any new orleans brass band would pay play such kind of dodgy music down 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 like it doesn't it would be better than that yeah so it's i don't think it is stock but they have gone to the effort of recording and writing dre- dreadful <laughs> dreadful mardi gras music and then not bothered to even treat it so it sounds like it's outside a house. Yeah. It doesn't sound remotely like it's in but, a street. Like, like, um, umpa music is that a very German specific kind of... thing that it isn't. It's absolutely but New I, Orleans I, jazz. In fact, I think umpa's Bavarian, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, the, it's all about Oktoberfest is the return of the umpa band. Yeah. Which I've experienced a couple of times. Um, yes. Uh, so, so that's a weird subplot, which I think actually takes almost as much presence as the Adam Klaus subplot. Yeah. Both of those things get more screen time and more attention than the actual mystery. Yeah. Just want to put that out there. Yeah. So you think we're kind of not getting to it. It's because it's, it's, that's the way it is. It, it's, it's buried underneath <laughs> yeah. a lot of things in this episode. Um. So yeah, so that whole business goes on. She tries to get them to stop. They won't. Her friend Mimi arrives. Which um, is weird because it didn't feel like that she was meant to be there. Because they were talking about her, like, oh, my friend Mimi's coming round. And Jonathan Creek was like, oh, yeah, and I've got another live show tonight at 8pm. Yeah. Um, live TV, a televised live show at 8pm. Yeah, which seems to be weekly. Yeah. But, tele- like, fr- like, is it... I spent a lot of this episode thinking about what this is. Is it yeah. a weekly, like, live stream of the theatre show? Because he's still yeah. in a theatre, like a yeah. West End theatre. He's not in a TV studio or anything. Because that's never happened ever no, in real life. Never a, a live stream of a of a West End run of a magic show every week because the the point of a long running show is that it's the same show. Right. So if that was what it was, then it would just be the same show every week being broadcast <laughs> yeah. live, yeah. which would be odd. If that isn't what it is, and it is a new show every week, they've hired out a West End theatre to, yeah. to 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 record a television show. And, and Which I don't think right. And and Jonathan should be writing it every week. Yeah. But also they keep talking about like, oh, you know, we're gonna go for another address here and we're gonna have a tech here. And 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 there's a running joke that we'll get to that Jonathan never gets to give notes. Um, because no one kind of respects him, which is weird. Yeah. 
but he doesn't there's no urgency about the fact that this is live streaming tonight yeah. like there's no there's no live urgency it's just kind of thrown in there and then maybe just t- Mimi just turns up yeah um, and so we have a tiny little bit of exposition about oh Mimi was a running joke on the news desk because it's all about me 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 yeah um, so we get that you know Maddie hates her um, interesting little fact about the actress uh, Lisette Anthony who plays a great name um, was uh, in 2017 one of the people uh, that came forward and claimed that she was assaulted by Harvey Weinstein ah uh, really interesting yeah um, interesting. and again one of those people uh, one of those uh, women out there who kind of say that yeah sort of her decline of a career was directly was it he he sort of yeah was... that's do you know I've just realised actually I've seen the uh, I think it was a Channel 4 interview that she gave yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah really yeah yeah that's uh, fantastic yeah um, so yeah so she turns up and there's basically as you say this whole kind of first bit of her coming in is for us to make sure we dislike her as a character um and also are aware that basically she kind of gets her own way with everything so the, mm. the gag is she comes in and immediately gets the new orleans jazz band to stop playing and they wolf whistle and they wolf whistle at her which fine um and but the thing about making her like a kind of know-it-all is that she has this chat with jonathan where she's like oh i really enjoyed watching your show last week and kind of goes oh of course I knew how that trick was yeah. done. And she goes, oh, but that trick was really good. But of course, that it was done that way as well. And now I think, as I say, this is in order for us to to, to paint her as somewhat of an antagonist in the episode for us to kind of be mm. like, but actually, what that actually does is, is, is two things. And I don't think either of them are helpful to what they're trying to do, which is either she's really brilliant at figuring yeah. out magic and it's genuinely good, or Jonathan is terrible at his job. Those, yeah. those, those are the only two outcomes yeah. of her going. Of course, I worked it all out. Well, I'm I, glad either you... she's brilliant or he's awful. Neither of which is actually what they're trying to achieve. So that was a really weird device that just didn't work. It is weird, and I'm going to come back to it. I, I didn't actually think of it at, at that angle, but it really bugs me because that interchange is important for later on. Because she says, "I know how you did it. Of course, it was this. It was." <laughs> she says, "Oh, it's um." It was because they were dummy feet. And Jonathan's face kind of like yeah. drops as if mm-hmm. to say, oh, she does actually know how it's done. Yeah. This is really annoying. Yeah. And then she says, you know, of course I knew how that was that was done. It kind of explains it all um, again. But his reaction to this changes over time. And also I think David Rennick's understanding of how tricks are actually done change <laughs> over time. But that, that one kind of makes sense. So we know that she's this smart, brilliant woman that I, I think uh, Maddie's just got a jealous of. Yeah. Um, and then they play on this jealousy because Jonathan's like, oh, well, Maddie, I've got to help her out because, um, you know, she's, she's asked me and she's like, oh, for goodness sake, you're, you're incorrigible kind of thing. But also what's important is that this Maddie, you know, Mimi's come over mm-hmm. to tell them about something that's happened. Yeah. In that the person she's sleeping with is called Robin. And Robin Priest. Robin Priest. And um, a little priest, and he has woken up in his sleep, shouting something about ghosts forge and of death. And she's looked it all up and thinks there's a bit of a mystery in it. Mm-hmm. And she's got a journalistic hat on and she wants yeah. to do something about it. But she's kind of telling that by the by. The main storyline is about her having an affair with Robin, who's a married man with a yeah. ch- with a baby. Yeah, well, it's not a real baby though, because they show him flashback and it's a doll. It's a terrifyingly <laughs> I on I. 
went back and looked at it. I was like, what? what is that? It's a terrifying, scary, horror movie baby, dead baby. Yeah. That's yeah. meant to be alive. Um, but like a nine-month-old baby is really it's scary. It's so fake. That's, it's so fake. That's the other yeah. trigger warning, actually, is the baby. Um, yeah. and But it's just about her having this affair with a married man with a child. And I just think, oh, that's another awful thing to do. Yeah. Like, I don't... You can make us kind of think she's brilliant or make us think that she's awful and annoying but then you're saying that she's morally it's like a really complex five yeah. minute introduction to a character and a, a mystery yeah and then maddie says quite rightly oh for goodness sake see you know your boyfriend's uh woken up and you know saying this where's the mystery in this you know yeah. what what are you going to investigate yeah and jonathan says well it's like you always say maddie isn't it um you don't know until you get there yeah like, uh, when yeah she, you she... don't don't know until you found it is what he says when did she say that <laughs> When she said that in the rest of this, I missed it if she has. And also, that's not a specific enough thing to remember as someone's quote they've said. That's just a very general sentence. Yeah, it's not exactly like, a killer catchphrase, is no. it? No. Yeah, you know what? It's what like you always say. Don't know until you've. So you always say, have breakfast when you wake up. Like, yeah, it's yeah, like what? Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of a factual thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so, so we're none the wiser about what this mystery is. No, but I mean, we probably should. Talk about it because it yeah. is the crux of the episode. All right. Oh, fine. <laughs> so I'm more interested in the next Adam Kraft scene, but fine. Yeah, no. So she says that um, she, uh, her, um, Robin, who yeah. she's sleeping with, claim, when he when she asks him, claims that he read about it and she looks it up. And Ghost Forge was the home of a recluse, a reclusive writer named Ezra Carr. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, a dog walker, uh, his dog kind of got let loose and ran into the mansion. And he, following the dog, looks up and sees what he assumes to be Ezra Carr in the window. Kind of like dead looking out the window. Yeah. Um, and uh, thinks that he's obviously had a heart attack or something and died. But then she says, no, but I got the police report somehow they copied um, it out for me yeah yeah they copied it out for me again i think it's with it's to do with this thing of she can get anything she mm, wants yeah um i don't know how legal that is but fine um <laughs> and not. and the police report claims that he was <laughs> that he was stabbed in the back of the neck four now, years ago four years ago now the police report the thing about the police report is that the police report also clearly <laughs> claims that that body is Ezra Carr. Yeah. So I'm like, so what, no dental records? No. They just aut- assumed that Again, that's we forget that autopsies exist in the world of Jonathan Creek. Because Auto- it, no autopsies done. No coroner's report. It, do you know what? I know we, we kind of dance around this subject in most episodes, but I don't think we've ever explicitly said how irritating it is, how many things they just choose to forget to make the reveal make sense for them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's actually it's actually getting quite annoying now like i'm like yeah. you can't just pretend you can't set something in the real world and then pretend things don't exist in order for the reveal to make sense well like you know the best mysteries you 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 know you often un- 
a lot of writers actually start with the reveal and work their way backwards to make sure that they can make Everything that reveal work. Yeah. And it's like you can't just you write can't. it as you go along. You but can't. But he is David. He is writing it. It's just so frustrating as, as, as it's being because shot. this this one especially actually none of it works because the police. Sorry, spoiler. We'll get to why later on. It's not Ezra Carr. The yeah. body is not Ezra Carr, right? So. The police would absolutely know that body is not Ezra Carr because they would have done an autopsy and yeah. gone, oh, this isn't this person. But also they say, for some reason, this police, police report goes into how, you know, they they asked everyone next of kin. No, there was no next no. of kin, no family, no one to inherit this house. Yeah. So it's gone back into the you know property of the state and yeah. they're taking over it. And, and we've done an autopsy. This old man isn't Ezra Carr. So now we're looking for Ezra Carr wanted for murder. Yeah, surely. Right? That's that's the logical thing. No, 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 no. No, we're not going to... Qu- old man in the building. He's been killed. We're just going to assume it's uh, who the ha- the deeds of the house belong to. Uh, fine, we're not going to investigate this anymore. And also, why is... It's in the front window of the house. Yeah. Why is it in the first time in four years? And why anyone's... isn't that body decomposed? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's four years. Oh, why is right. the body still a body? I thought of that. It's a full man with hair. I mean, that's the mystery of the episode, isn't it? That <laughs> yeah, should be that's the, the mystery. mystery of the episode. So that Ridiculous. And, Ridiculous. Um, and then, yeah, Maddie is quite rightly like, why? Why should we get involved in this? And Jonathan's like, oh, well, I'm going to go help her anyway. And then we follow... And then the brass band start up again, playing the same song. So to be clear, she thinks the mist because I'm still hazy at this point on yeah. the mystery. He thinks the mystery is because he didn't know anyone and no one had any motive. So who killed him? Is no. that what the mystery no. is? The mystery is how did a dog walker see the body of a man who died four years ago? Well, if that's the mystery, that mystery is not never solved. It's never solved. But that's why she's, I think that's why she's first into it. I mean, okay. let us know what you think the mystery is uh, uh, yeah. at home yeah. if you've got I an idea. I still am none the wiser about why why they set off on this. I thought that, I thought it was to do with the, you know, no one really knew about it until the dog walker saw this picture. But then the police said, yeah. But I mean, that, no, but, but the what, point is they don't what know you're until doing they get there. Is, is, what you're doing is assuming that the that the most logical mystery should be the mystery, but I don't think that is because that's not solved. Because they don't talk about why a body hasn't decomposed for four years. Oh, and also, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, the decom- yeah, so, so why he, it wouldn't be that that they saw. Maybe, maybe the dog walker saw it a few months after the death, but they've only just discovered the reporting because they've looked up the article because Robin said it in his sleep. Either way, there's n- there's no real reason for them to be investigating no. this non-mystery. No. no. I mean, often, often we say that it feels odd that they that especially Jonathan cares or goes into yeah. looking up these things but this one I think is the worst this why I have no idea why they why they're looking into this so then we cut back to the main storyline um which is Adam Klaus at a note session yeah. so they're all sitting yeah no I've right you've got a lot to say about this right I don't know if you spotted this but so yeah so Jonathan is doing notes with a, a I don't know who, who all those people are in the crew. Sound lights. Yeah. Um, you know, but... So yeah, they're they're all sat around on, in in a circle on on the stage, and Jonathan's trying to give notes, but they're all distracted because Adam is passing around a tiny piece of paper. It's a little clipping. It's a little clipping, and what it's a clipping of is 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 a bad one sentence review. Um, by Dougie. Uh, 
why anyone watches this show is beyond me. Yes, yeah. the name, but yeah, uh, Dougie Davis, Dougie something like that. I've got it written down somewhere. Yeah, but it's um, Dougie Dawson. Dougie Dawson. But, but right? it's but, kind but, of not like a review. It's like yeah. a. It's like a. It's like a writing in like yeah, a, when you write in to comment on something. Points yeah. of view. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. So so actually, is he? Maybe he's not meant to be a reviewer. No. But then we do meet him later on, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that because um, that that is an issue for me. But at this but, point in the story, yeah, it's just a clipping of yeah. a one sentence writing. My problem. My problem with this is who did you say the name of the guy that's Dougie Dawson? No, the oh. directed the episode is. Um, this is directed by. Uh, oh, sorry, Richard Holthouse. Richard Holthouse apparently didn't let any of the people playing the technicians and crew in the circle know how they were meant to react to the video because it shows everyone one person in particular smiles at it as if it's a picture of a baby yeah. he like smiles lovingly at it and yeah. i'm like wait what is and then he gets to it, I was like no 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 one had the reaction of annoyed and all, all the or disappointed or the same reaction either yeah. some some looked at it like a baby or someone else looked at it like it was a weird like that's a weird thing to be passing around a note session yeah um, but also, I don't know why, Adam Klaus sits down and goes, you know, Jonathan, the floor is yours. And then he passes this review around, showing everyone and whispering. And yeah. Jonathan's like, oh, what is it you're passing around? Eventually it gets to him. And he's given no notes. And then it's this tiny review. And then they're like, oh, right, great. Let's uh, let's call that, you know, we'll, we'll see you at kind of dress. I'm like, all right, is that another? Have they not just had dress? What was the note session for? If yeah. they haven't had dress yet. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The crew disperse. No one cares what Jonathan Creek says. Even though he clearly runs the show. Yeah. Like, he's the director of this show. And the, yeah. te- and the, and the magic consultant. And no one gives a toss what he says. Which is a worrying thing for a weekly live show that apparently is going out tonight at 8pm. Yeah. Live. Yeah. And then you've got just Adam and Jonathan on stage. And then they bring back the tabs to reveal a huge... Uh, backdrop blown up version of that clipping on the back of the st- stage yeah what and he's like why have you done that if it's a bad review and he went oh well you know just putting it up there let the audience make up their own mind i've got a question for you mm-hmm. who made that i mean no idea because it can't be can't anyone be any, can't anyone be anyone who was in charge of any of the departments that would need <laughs> to be involved in order to make that they've literally just been shown it so yeah they with the power of i don't know telekinesis they've yeah. made this backdrop yeah and jonathan Creek quite, quite rightly asks why it doesn't make sense if it's a not a good review and he goes oh i and then he doesn't answer it either and then we cut yeah. away yeah but, <laughs> so and we never find out about that no i mean well it's, dougie it's, dawson you know, comes back but... any any publicity is good publicity i think is that the, the point I... well maybe but he doesn't say that no, and i think it's no, important that the character has an opinion on what he's doing behind the scene <laughs> without the consent of any of his technical heads any of his hod's on that show <laughs> and he doesn't even have an opinion on it fine um um so yeah so then we then we go to um robin's wife who finds uh robin priest's wife who finds a scrunched up uh, address post well, it we we do but we also have a little bit in between where we show where robin who's turned up at maddie's flat and taken um uh yes uh, mimi again very odd that she's very brazen about having this affair and he's he's not very bothered about 
Mimi's strange friends knowing about this affair. Like, yeah. if you're having an affair, are you fine for anyone who's not your wife to know about it? Yeah. Like, is that the deal? That you just don't care? Yeah. So it's fine for everyone to know that you're having an affair. They just act like a couple. And they go off somewhere. And then we cut back, for some reason, to them having sex. Yeah. And it's like a really fast, like, graphic sex scene. Yeah. Where I actually went to the David and said, is that a bit of nipple? N- bit of nipple? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it is. Like, There's a bit of boob in there for no reason whatsoever. But I don't think it's gratuitous. I think it's genuinely that's just bad editing. I don't just, think it yeah. was meant to have been shown. <laughs> it's another bit of editing they farmed out to someone else to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, yeah, really odd. Really odd. So so we know that they're having passionate sex, and that's it. Yeah. Just completely odd. Uh, and then, yeah, quite rightly, we, as you say, we move back to uh, Robin's wife. Yeah, so we see Robin's wife find a scrunched-up note... Uh, in the pocket of uh, Robin's jacket hanging up and um, she obviously it's an address and she assumes because she's been suspicious of him having an affair and she assumes that's where his his mistress is Um, of course she turns up at the address and that's why you're seeing them having sex because they're they're making you think that she's going to turn up and burst in on them but of course she turns up and she's at Maddie's flat because he's got of course because he was meeting uh, yeah. um, Mimi there at, so that's why he's got the address she turns up and she sprays red spray paint in Maddie's face quite quite bizarrely I don't immediately know why. without asking who she is without questioning like, even if she thought that was the address it could have been her housemate of a person who lived like absolutely just immediately I'm gonna yeah. spray you in the face with red face paint um, red spray paint rather um, and uh, bear in mind this is the middle of the night yeah so maddie covered in red spray paint didn't get a chance to fully didn't, expl- didn't to fully try very explain. hard but, no. but didn't get um, it, yeah. and then of course to add insult to injury the new orleans mardi Gras band starts back up again in the middle yeah. of the night what are they doing why are they there they wouldn't be there anyway even in the day much less in the middle of the night still there and they're playing the same song and they're playing the same song anyone would think it was exactly the same recording because they start and finish it exactly the same <laughs> place again it's like a New Orleans Mar- Mar- like Mardi Gras band playing a 12 bar blues from 1958 yeah. that's what it like specifically yeah. weird choice of music yeah so um, um, so yeah then we we arrive at the next morning and Jonathan Maddie and Mimi are off to Ghost Forge uh, in Norfolk which, in fairness, isn't going to be that far from his uh, windmill because his windmill's in Suffolk. True. So mm-hmm. um, that's, you know... Kind of makes sense. Bordering. So what doesn't I'm make sense, happy. though, is that you think it's the next morning. Yeah. Do you know it's the next morning? Or do we just assume it's the next morning? I assume it's the next morning because Maddie's still got uh, the uh, spray paint on her face, okay. right? Little remnants of That's That's important. Yeah, that's a very important thing timeline-wise. Okay, to know that that's the next morning because she has spray paint on. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll come back to that. So we're in the car. We're <laughs> going to Ghost's Forge. Yeah. Um. um so uh, and just Mimi says, "Oh, sorry about that, to Maddie." Yeah. And she says, "Oh, that stuff's lethal." As if she has a lot of experience with being sprayed in the face with spray. I was like, "What? Why are you talking knowingly about a very weird and specific thing that Maddie's experienced?" Yeah, it's really odd. Um. Yeah, that's happened to me loads of times. Like, or because you're a serial cheater, or I don't. Know. But then also that means that everyone in this universe responds to cheating through spray paint revenge yeah if you have ever experienced infidelity either on either end please write in and let us know (laughs) if your go-to reaction is indeed spray paint revenge 
so yeah Mimi's, Mimi's explaining it um, and says oh sorry about that and you know Caroline Quentin's in the back obviously being annoyed and a bit jealous at Mimi and Mimi says oh I enjoyed your show again last night because um, it was live streamed from the theatre. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's watched it again. Or yeah. she was in the theatre, we don't know. But she saw the show again. Yeah. Um, and she starts talking about how all the tricks were done again. Except this time she says, um, oh, yeah, it was very obvious how that cutting off of the bodies worked because there were the false feet there. And obviously with that water tank, you know, it was very clear that obviously there was a pipe just going into another tank and uh, he just swam through it. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> you think... And we're meant to think that Mimi's clever and has yeah. worked out the trick. trick. Yeah. And Jonathan Creek's response facially is, oh, she's worked it out okay. again. Yeah. Is that sh- there were two water tanks on stage and one, uh, Adam Klaus was in one water tank and when it was presumably covered up, he swam <laughs> down a human-sized <laughs> pipe that went under the stage into another tank. Yeah. That's, what, a- a- another part of the stage? In order to, you know, appear in one tank and not the other. If you yeah. think that's how those tricks are done, that you're an idiot. But if Jonathan Creek is doing tricks like that, he's wasting a lot of money and putting a lot of lives at risk and is yeah. not clearly, hasn't got a magician's mind. The first rule of magic, right, is that the result is, the, the reveal is always more boring than you think. Jonathan Creek says it all the yeah. time. Yeah. It's always the simplest thing. Yeah. That's the yeah. most complicated, yeah. and that involves restructuring <laughs> of a theatre. And he's afraid breaking up Shawshank. Yeah, no, that's exactly, <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. So he'd seen Shawshank Redemption and went, mm, yeah, <laughs> that'll be it. Yeah. And that maybe that's what it was. It was two tanks for, full of shit. Um, <laughs> Adam Klaus had to wade <laughs> through rivers of shit. <laughs> Very good, Morgan Freeman. Thank you. Um, um, so that annoyed me because yeah. we now I don't I really don't know whether she knows the tricks or whether Jonathan Creek's a terrible magician, which is exactly the, your point you made in the first scene. But it reinforces it, so they revisit it and make yeah. it more confusing. Yeah. Thanks for that, David Rennick. Um, so yeah, so they drive into Ghost's Forge and Jonathan says, oh, that's an odd sign. Mm-hmm. It shows the sign of Ghost's Forge. Um, and Mimi's like, what? And Maddie's like, oh, that's kind of his thing. He he sees stuff that none of us mere mortals mm. can see. Um, of course, forgetting the fact Maddie McGellan isn't mortal, she's immortal because she was killed off two episodes ago. Of course she died ago. in a rubbish shoot. Yeah. yeah, so she's still dead. Um, she is a ghost. Which, which that made me laugh a little bit later when she does say... She she turn uh, she yeah. we'll 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 explain what happens but basically she actually says the line oh you look so you see a ghost and I did laugh because I was like yeah they have you because you were killed off two episodes ago <laughs> and we are not going to let that go because for the rest of her appearances at Jonathan Creek she is now a ghost so yes they saw a ghost and it was you so it will be a podcast point of discussion every episode until they stop making Jonathan Creek yeah absolutely Good. um. Yeah, I mean, then they walk into Ghost Forge. Yeah, and, and what does Manny McGellan say? Guys? She says, oh, great. God, it's all shut up. They've taken all the furniture out. That's absolutely Beezer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, you might know what Beezer is at home, but I, I didn't. No. I've never um, heard it before in my I, life. If, I I mean, I'm doubtful, but please do get in touch. I've, I've if, looked if, it up. anyone's heard Beezer, have you? I've looked it up. Wow, and I, okay. But if you have, yeah, you're quite right. If you've heard it, let us know. But I, I've never heard this before in my life. No. I looked it up, and it turns out it's Northern Irish slang <laughs> for something being excellent or cool, etc. Like, oh, that's Beezer. And sometimes, as a result, you might find it on the west coast of Scotland as well. 
But in Scotland, the yeah. meaning's changed to mean nose. So it can mean something good, but also like could be like get your bees out of there. Right. So either it's Northern Irish slang for this is excellent, which I think fits what Maddie's saying. Yeah. Or it's Northern Irish, or it's West Coast Scotland slang for nose or schnoz. Um, so that I mean, that's what the internet could tell me. Why on right. earth is Maddie coming out with Northern Irish slang? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's confusing I enough. Her identity is a middle class kind of journalist who grew up on a Cockney council estate and like I don't I don't know what her history is and neither does she really no um but I don't know why she's saying that that's absolutely Beza isn't it uh, and of course it's ironic because it is it's not Beza but why is it not Beza why would it help their case if the house was full of furniture or not I, if yeah, it's been I, abandoned for four years I don't know what they're... They don't know what they're trying to get out of it, right? No. They've told us that. They yeah. don't know why they're there. Yeah. So why are the circumstances good or bad? <laughs> they can't be. <laughs> I mean, I am being picky, but... It, no, I mean, no, you you're not. I mean, I mean, often we're both picky at times, but but no, that's, a, that's kind of a fundamental question because it is also... You're highlighting. They don't know why they're there. We don't know why they're there. This is and I don't think at this point David Rennick knows why they're there. No. Like I just think he's gone. Oh, I put him in an old house. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's different to Gallows Gate Part One because Gallows Gate Part One did know where it was going. It just stubbornly decided to take forever to get there. This genuinely feels like it's kind of ambling around, and they have no idea where they're going. Just yeah. Uh, 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 senile people in the dark fumbling for answers the one thing they keep teasing and they mention it on the way there and they mention it when they're there is that this man Ezra Carr um, lived a supposedly hermetically sealed off life and yeah. they say hermetically well, sealed off from they, the world yeah, they, they legally have to say that in every episode <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you'd be we're starting to kind of get these teases that it's something yeah. to do with it and, and Maddie says oh like another locked room mystery is it it's like okay so we're, we're yeah. being set up that it's going to be something well, to do with that's yeah that that's because there's a room that they can't get into that where there's a door but they mention it beforehand locked. before they've even discovered that this is before they're in at this point they've only just got to the loft yeah so the, we're yet to actually get to there being a locked door yeah but we've talked about hermetically he was hermetically sealed off to the yeah. world before they even got to the house um, and that we think there might be another locked do doors, you know, a locked room mystery. Well, the locked room mystery line is when she. Oh, that also oh, that comes afterwards. Lock the door, yeah. But yeah, hermetically sealed is yeah before they've even found anything. Okay, yeah, yeah. So so we're 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 back. We're in the loft at this point. Um, yeah, and because they hear a noise. Is that why they go up there? That's why they go up to the loft. They hear a noise. Did we ever find out what the noise is? Yeah, it was a bat. Oh, it was a, oh okay. I missed yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so so they hear a noise that's up in the loft. And they go and investigate, and Jonathan goes up, and you get kind of creepy slasher horror movie music uh, to make you think something interesting might happen. But of course, it's Jonathan Creek, so it doesn't. Um, and it's just a bat that flies out at him. And uh, and yeah, they get scared. Maddie then gets so scared she runs into a bit of cobweb that then makes Mimi laugh hysterically. It feels like Mimi's kind of bullying it, yeah. Maddie a bit, which yeah. kind of reinforces her awful character, but yeah. actually hasn't been that awful up until this no, point. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, but yeah, um, um, and then yeah, and then they find this door that's locked, um, and Jonathan says, "Oh, it looks like there's something 
in the but, other but, side. But, Maybe there's but, a key. You're forgetting a really important oh, point. Oh, sorry. He in finds the loft, some books. He finds some books. And more important than that, by Jeffrey, we Archie. have the return of what we dubbed last week the shit camera. <laughs> We had good camera work up until this point, and then there's one specific shot for ages, about 10 seconds, looking at Jonathan finding these books, yeah. right? Um, and and it's just an awful, grainy camera. The same one. Yeah, I think this up. is about the eighth or ninth time now in the three seasons that it's they've used so this camera. Weird. It's the same split camera, because you can tell, because it's... Unless the only other thing I was thinking is, like, obviously when they, like re-rendered it to be put onto Netflix and streaming services and stuff maybe they had maybe they like whacked up the definition in just a few frames just forgot right okay that's maybe. the only other option I thought that it's about a post-production issue but it does because it's such a specifically different type of film it, yeah I the think whole it, thing I think it's a specific bad camera that they use every now and then because they never used to show up on the BBC short supply of cameras or something uh, but yeah, I thought it was important to uh, interrupt the podcast uh, to mention that. Absolutely. Um, but yes, and you're quite right. We should also mention there's five books uh, in a box. Uh, a book's called The Grave Digger, written by Jeffrey Eastman, um, who we later learn is basically just Jeffrey Archer. Yeah, um, no, Gerald Eastland. Oh, Gerald. His name. Oh, okay. But, you, but because <laughs> it's like because it's like Jeffrey Archer, you called it yeah. Gerald Eastland. Gerald Eastland. Thank you. Yeah. He was a headshot of an actor I kind of recognise. Yeah. Um, I was like, why Why have you picked a headshot of an actor who's quite famous enough for me to recognise, but not... Fa- like, just don't use a headshot of an actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be better. Um, but yeah, so they find these these books, um, and Jonathan points out that there's five in what looked like a pack of six. Mm. And uh, Maddie goes, oh, yeah, yeah. So quite often when you you know write books, they'll, they send you the first six. Um so you can land them out and stuff you know that and she said in, in my case that often doubles uh, doubles the printing press um because yeah. she is so bad at her job that she doesn't sell any books yeah which we've had three or four times throughout the series unfortunately it goes against directly three or four other times where we're meant to believe that she's big enough to have to be on primetime television yeah how famous and successful is maddie at her job i just want to know i just need to know yeah and i found it really frustrating and it took me out of it for a second <laughs> um so yeah, so then, yeah, as we said, they get to this locked room. Jonathan seems to think that there's a key or something stuck in the other side of the lock. And Maddie says, come on, memes, we'll go and uh, see if we can get in via the window. There must be a ladder or something around. Luckily, they find a ladder that's the exact right height for that specific level of the mansion yeah. um, to get into that window. And the windows open a crack. Um, so Maddie goes, oh, I'll go up first goes in there's just one door nothing else and obviously the one window that enters in mm-hmm. um jonathan's like come on let's take so long and the door and she says oh hang on a minute and then she disappears and but but also he says are you there yet mm. and she from the other side of the door quite right yeah. as you said says oh, i'm just coming and you can hear that she's like a foot away yeah and his reaction is god sits down, leans against the door and gets a book out as if she said, I'll be 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. reacted to her saying, I'm 20 minutes away. Yeah. I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah. And and, and then, uh, and I don't know, uh, but he, it gives him time to open up and read the book. But I don't know yeah. why he thinks that, surely his reaction would be, oh great, she's already there. Yeah. I had no idea she was on yeah. the other side of the door. Yeah. But he plays <laughs> the complete opposite of that. Really confusing. Um, so yeah, so anyway, 
neither of them hear anything from her that's mimi and jonathan so mimi goes up into the room she's not in the room anymore she's disappeared jonathan's on the other side can't get the door to unlock she can't get the door to unlock um so jonathan then comes around and goes mm-hmm. and goes up the ladder and in can't make head nor tail of it so he's like he's well, got his he's got his lock pick in yeah. the floorboards for some inexplicable reason but you know yeah. you yeah. can't find <laughs> yeah. it's a locked door mystery as madly predicted yeah so they go jonathan goes well, i think we better call the police so they go back down they're in the car um and then she's like what am i supposed to say that my friends disappeared into the air and he says well maybe not as it would seem what you check your window how do they how does he go about bringing the police um, I think she did. She have a mobile phone. Got a mobile phone, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they've all got mobile phones. Well, we're into two thousand now. I don't. Think Jonathan's already always had one. Yeah. Maddie's always had one. Yeah. And now Mimi's got one in this episode. Yeah. So we know those three characters throughout the whole. They've got mobile phones. Why don't they ring her first? <laughs> Why don't they ring her? Before they ring, they go. Oh, we can't find our friend for five minutes. So let's ring the police. Well, yeah. if you've got a phone and she's got a phone, why don't you ring her? But no, fine. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, <sighs> but anyway, they didn't need to. They didn't need to um, call the police because Maddie uh, turns up, gets in the car, and that's when she says, "Oh, I've seen a ghost." Which of course they did because Maddie McGallan's dead at this point. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and she refuses to tell them. Jonathan get works it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then in there in the sorry, car. Sorry, actually. Oh. I, I would be remiss if I didn't go back and talk about this because it's one of my absolute favourite tropes in Jonathan Creek. When he's trying to work out where she's gone in the room, we get again the appearance of the completely pointless montage oh, yeah. of a short period yeah, but, of time. Yeah. It's like all the way all the way back um to Jack in the Box like where they did the, the mon- walls where and... they did the montage of the guy drilling into yeah. the wall. Yeah. It's like you don't need to do a time passing montage when it's like five minutes when it's yeah. you're just cutting like one frame out yeah like it's so weird why are you doing it as a montage just show him walking around because because not doing it as a montage would take the same amount of time as a montage just show him walking around the room and testing things and going oh well she's not here it, but no they do it as, as if they've been in there hours but they haven't because maddie specifically says it's taken you 10 minutes yeah so it has been a montage of maximum 10 minutes amount of time so why show us two and a half minutes of montage is yeah. the question. Yeah. Also, let's just remind you at this point, we're 45 minutes into the podcast and uh, we we haven't, none of this is to do with the mystery at Ghost Forge, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And we don't know what mystery any of them are trying to yeah. solve. Yeah. The biggest mystery so far is that Maddie was in a locked room, hermetically sealed and couldn't, you yeah. know, couldn't get out. Um, but but yeah. luckily, luckily then, of course, after this scene, thankfully... The writers know what we need. Another scene with Adam Klaus. Yeah, we were so we to go. Adam Klaus. So we go the back Adam to Adam Klaus's burgeoning relationship with Gina Bellman's character, the florist. Um, and again, so we learn that apparently everyone in two thousand was just incredibly superficial. Yeah, horrendous. So yeah, so so he's about to sleep with Gina Bellman. Uh, Adam Klaus in is. in what seems like a hotel room. No hotel room. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, just go freshen up." He notices a jar with some false teeth in and he leaves without saying anything. Yeah. Because he's so repulsed by the fact that she might have false teeth. Which which is also confusing that he thinks that because he's just seen her 
can't, wouldn't you with, be able to tell? With teeth in? Yeah. So what does he think's in that jar? Does he think that she's wearing another set of false teeth and those are a secondary set of false teeth? So I tried to what work this out. It's, Why it's either that. Hers? It's either that or or she, or he thinks that she's had her false teeth in and they were real and he thought they were real and then she's gone to the bathroom to freshen up and taken her false teeth out before she has sex with him. But, no, but... Is but that how it works? Do you have to take your false teeth out before you have sex? But the chronology of what's just happened and what he's just seen is her talking to him with teeth. Yeah. Going into a bathroom and then he looks over and sees the the, the pot with the false teeth in. So, so there's at no point could she have taken any teeth out and put them in a pot. Well, I must, no, but the pot's in the bathroom and he's seeing yeah, but it he through the bathroom. he sees it immediately, right? Yeah, so I think he's assuming that she's taken them out really super quick. I mean, and put them in a jar, and then he's seen the jar, and then he's out. Like, it all happens very quickly. Yeah. I think it's more likely that he thinks that she's got a spare set of false teeth, and that's what's repulsed <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. But, but that's more logical. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's an arsehole, runs out on her. Um, and and then we go back to the Ghost Forge situation. Yeah. Um, Jonathan has been hard at work in, with in his, his windmill calli- with his in his windmill with his calligraphy skills yeah making a sign to to show maddie that the problem with the ghost's forge sign on the front gate is that there's no apostrophe yeah but instead of telling her that he's decided that he's going to spend at least an hour because it's quite an elaborate illustrative He's colouring it in. It's I think also maybe weird it's like it, mindful shading or something. I don't know why he's done it as well, because it, it doesn't in any way resemble the design of the sign on the mansion. No. So he's not trying to recreate that. He's done his own thing. But, but this, no, so, so that there's is... There's no reason for him to do it. And why, and no why not just say, oh, the weird thing is, did you not notice there's no apostrophe? He he wrote a sign with an apostrophe yeah, in yeah. it to show her, for her to work out what the difference... Like, why is he testing her? It's so on something, weird. On something that no one apart from him has mentioned. Yeah. It's not like he... It feels like he's saying, I've made a... This is a sign you've made of your memory, but it's wrong because you put yeah, an apostrophe there yeah. and there wasn't one. <laughs> yeah. But he's made it. Yeah. She, no one has questioned this. Yeah. And he's deliberately kind of making her go through paces and like, yeah. come on, man, yeah, work it out, work it out. Because but, after all that, she looks at the side and doesn't get it anyway. Yeah. So then he moves on to talking about Finnegan's Wake and trying to explain yeah. it. And I'm like, just tell her. Just t-. Like, I get that it's like to stretch it out for dramatic purposes for our benefit. But also I'm like, no, you don't like... Yeah. If, if that overtakes any, like any sense of realism of what a normal conversation would be, then maybe don't do that. Because why? There's no reason for him to not just tell her. Because yeah. it's very simple. Going, oh, the weird thing about the sign is that it should be ghosts with an apostrophe, but it's not. And then she says, okay, I've got it now. After yeah. all that, it took, it took about an hour. Yeah. Um, what's that relevance? What's, what's it got to do with the story? And he goes, well, let's forget about this for now. I'll tell you yeah. about some... Yeah. Right, what? Yeah. yeah. He goes, just push that aside for now. Because David Rennick doesn't want to reveal that part of the story yet. He goes yeah. on to explain that... Um, that he's been doing, out of idle curiosity, some reading of uh, Gerald Eastland's book, Grave Digger. Yeah. And he explains that there's another little play around with words and that it's not about a grave digger, as in someone who digs a grave. It's about a very depressed Australian. Yeah. Because digger is slang term for an Australian. Yeah. Now, who would write a book about depression 
and start it with a colloquial outdated pun. Like, Gerald Easton, what are you thinking, right? Um, now, if the story was that the books were dreadful, that who might was, make who, sense. Who, who was uh, a cabinet member of the, yeah. of, of, of the government in the 1980s and then became a novelist. That's what like, 100% you're Geoffrey Archer, It's completely based on Geoffrey Archer, yeah. Um, so it's a really terrible title for a novel, but we're to believe that actually it's an ingenious title of the novel because it hinges on the, the fact that the writing is brilliant. And everyone was so surprised that this boring MP from the 80s turned out to be such a brilliant novelist. It can't be true. Which makes me think David Rennick's suspicious of Jeffrey Archer's career. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll come, come to that at the end when we fully reveal this. Um, so we have that. That takes ages. Um, yeah. And then we don't really learn anything apart from the fact that Jonathan's worked out something with the name of the place, which we knew anyway because he said it earlier yeah. on. And also that he's worked out that there's a bit of punnage involved in the title of these books. Then we go back to Adam Klaus, which is where the real storyline is. Yep. Yeah. What's he, so. do, what's he doing, David? Okay, He's doing so, a magic trick, isn't so, he? So, yeah. So, my note on this is, okay, confirmation, Adam Klaus's show is definitely racist. Completely. It's what I've written. Because <laughs> we, we've alluded to it and wondered whether it is a couple of times. It's Because yeah. it's, it's, often, it's often been set in Egypt. We, we've had a couple uh, of like Egypt. Ancient Egypt. Um, and there's always like a slave and kind of weird music yeah. that seems to be kind of like maybe a bit Arabic, or yeah. like North African, Bedouin yeah. kind of scenes. Um, there was a Cleopatra routine and he was a sphinx. And yeah. Um, and yeah, it's always been a bit kind of like ethnically clumsy. Yeah. And this time it was him dressed as a Native American yeah, chief. It was. Yeah, it Making was. like like sounds that i don't want to make because i feel uncomfortable putting that on a broadcast yeah. like yeah the type of typical is really offensive it's just yeah. really offensive you've got paint all over his face um and a girl a, a young woman in in a kind of short skirt yeah. and then he's like great and that's the end of the trick we don't see what the trick was we just need to know that it's racist that's yeah. it apparently yeah. um uh, and he goes on to talk about the fact that maybe the skirt's too short actually um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a man with you know great manners, and I care about family values and all that. And that's um, for the benefit. Not the only racist moment in this episode, by the way. Oh, uh, I'm going to come to one. Of... <laughs> no, yeah, go later. Off. Um, so yeah, so he's doing this, show and it's clearly a, a rehearsal. Yeah. Um, and it he's suddenly clearly had an apparent change of heart because he's saying, oh yeah. The skirt's too long, um, yeah. uh, too short. Sorry, the skirt's too short. We don't want to offend any of our our our, our female viewers, kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, oh, that's weird. And as Jonathan's coming in, and he's ah, oh, Jonathan, brilliant. Um, and it's being very nice to him, and everything all seems a bit odd. And then Jonathan pans around and realizes why things are a bit odd, and it's because um, <laughs> Jim Bowen's Jim Bowen's come. So, Jim Bowen. Now, if anyone doesn't know who Jim Bowen is, how would you describe him? I think he's a kind of national treasure. Yeah, Bullseye. Bullseye um, was a, a, a TV show, um, for just in case some of you are too young to know, where you would it was, it'd be a darts competition. Yeah. And you'd get kind of amateur darts players. And if they got the right kind of numbers and the right scores that they were meant to get, they could win things. And it was normally yeah. like quite famous for having household items. Like yeah. you'd get a fitted kitchen was yeah. like top prize. Yeah. 
uh, a speedboat. Yeah. Um, you know, quite famous in the in the well eighties. Eighties, yeah. Um, and Jim Jim Bowen, this kind of lovely friendly presenter, Norman yeah. guy, and it's him. Yeah, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. So Jim Bowen is playing. What was his name? D- Dougie Dawson. Dougie Dawson, the guy that wrote in the comment. Yeah. Now. As we said earlier, it felt like he wasn't meant to be... A, that he was just an audience member that had written in. Yeah. But he's got full-on, like... He's got a, a, a microphone that he can record. He's got a, a dictaphone. A, a dictaphone, sorry. He's making notes. They're like, giving him so, champagne on ice. Yeah, I'm like, so he's, like, so now he's Kenneth Tynan. He yeah. was yes. ang- yeah. angry viewer from Sunderland. Yeah. And now he's Kenneth Tynan. I'm like, who is... Oh, really weird. Really weird. And they, But they stick with this. So from now on, he is we realise that he's a really important reviewer. Yeah. Um, and that's important because the interaction that follows, he, he actually kind of backs it up. Um, so he's being really nice and putting on this show, like you say, being nice to Jonathan, yeah. of what a lovely family man he is because he wants Dougie Dawson to think he's great. Yeah. Um, which is odd because beforehand, like yesterday, he put up Dougie Dawson's viewer comment on the back wall yeah in some kind of act of like rebellion i don't care yeah so he's done a 180 on this somewhere in between uh, uh, n- not sleeping with the florist because of a false teeth I, I don't know where this has changed but for the sake of the story as, it as, has. as you mentioned earlier the timeline of this whole episode is is really odd i don't really understand how fast things are happening yeah. how many days like in between stuff have gone past that we're seeing yeah. or if ev- everything we're seeing is one day after the next it's yeah all very odd um so so then you know he's being really nice and in walks gina um our our florist to say oh adam can't believe you does this big speech about how he wouldn't sleep with her and, and left without so much as a as a what's the phrase i can't remember I can't so remember. much as a by your leave yeah um uh, because you thought i had false teeth right how does she know that i this is what i wrote i find it very weird that she immediately knew it was the teeth that put klaus off because <laughs> how how was she come to that conclusion immediately because th- because this troubles me this troubles me because this is a, this isn't say this now before this it was like okay adam klaus is inherently superficial and that's a flaw within his character and the thing that we shouldn't like about him right the problem is now that david rennick has made her thick now that's just now that he's saying culturally we're all superficial because she's just made that assumption as if that any anyone of course anyone would look at that and run off like that's what everyone's going to think when they see the false teeth like that's now that's now making it a societal thing and that I, uh, upsets me because you don't like to be lumped in with that do you no i don't i i think it's much more i think it's simpler than that i think david rennick's just written gina as if she, i've got my, the name of the florist i can't do we ever learn it i don't know um gina, uh, but she's uh, she says i think she ha- would have to have seen the rushes from that filming of jonathan creek in order to understand that that's what happened because she, yeah. to understand yeah. his point of view <laughs> yeah. she would have had to have the same camera angles of adam's klaus's line of sight like there's no way she would have come to that conclusion no, no. even if she was aware no. that everyone was superficial she had no clue was about false teeth not at all because she doesn't know how much she's left the door open a crack to the bathroom no she would have no yeah there is absolutely nowhere 
no no way in the world that she would have known it was the false teeth but, but it's, fine. it's ordered in order to show how shadow shallow adam klaus is and and the joke of course is it a joke where is the <laughs> is anything is that they weren't her false teeth they were actually her grandmother's yeah and she'd been to the hospital right yeah to drop off her grandmother at the hospital for which, some procedure which is the assumption i probably would have made um maybe shouldn't make that assumption i'm sure there are plenty of young people that have false teeth but generally if i saw someone in their early 30s that was carrying around some false teeth that already had teeth in i'd probably assume they were someone else's probably if they already had teeth yeah and they were carrying out a spare in a in a <laughs> like a jam jar of water as well it's very odd um now she but, but also why why did she drop her grandmother off at the hospital Mm. then go and have sex with a magician in a hotel that's her plan yeah but why does she take her grandmother's teeth with her she's her grandmother's gonna need those teeth <laughs> come meal times come when she wants to speak when someone comes to visit like you don't go into hospital and then go oh well you won't be needing these i'll take these for you and carry them in my handbag like it's more inconvenient for you but it's also really inconvenient for your grandmother my grandmother would have been furious if i'd taken her false teeth do you know what i've just realized there are so many more mysteries in this episode than the actual than mystery. the actual mystery. <laughs> yeah, that are more pressing and more clearly defined within the episode. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's completely ridiculous, and there's no reason for the false teeth thing other um, than to show that Adam Klaus is shallow. Yeah, and and it's for the benefit of him being rumbled by what's his name, Dickie Dawson. Dougie, D- why can't you remember his I name? No, his, na- his name is Dougie Dawson. Jim Bowen is his name. His name because it's Jim Bowen, and you Dougie. can't ask me to look at Jim Bowen and suspend my disbelief and imagine it's anyone else. It's Jim Bowen, who at this point hasn't spoken. No, really famous, yeah. iconic eighties. Yeah. This is what we would call a cameo. Well, this is the thing I was saying to you before we recorded. It, line. it like normally there's a way that kind of you film cameos or that they're written in that there's like a there's a sort of a nod there's a pulling back of the curtain of yeah. being aware of a cameo like oh i don't know why this is the first one i thought of but but sean connery coming in at the end of robin hood prince of thieves as richard yeah. the lionheart there's a he comes and there's a sort of knowing almost break the fourth wall up to camera a yeah. wink being like i'm far too big for this size of role yeah uh, and it's and it's an obvious thing, and that's what why we love cameos. But it doesn't feel like they're doing this here. This genuinely feels like it's like he's he's doing a job that is right. I lump it in. I'm going to bring this up. I can't believe I've not brought it up yet in three seasons of Jonathan Creek because I talk about it so much. But the Marcus Brigstock advert, right? Right. Oh, oh, this is a whole kind of worms. The Marcus Brigstock. What, what's it an advert for? Kind of. You got over it. I think it's like Experian Credit. It is. It's Experian Credit, isn't it? Marcus Brigstock in that advert is is playing a character called Dan. And yeah. I'm like, I feel like Marcus Brigstock's too big of a well-known name to just be a jobbing actor playing a character in an advert. Yeah. And I feel like he Jim Bowen... He should be playing himself, Jim right? Bowen is just in this as, like, a day player. And yeah. I don't understand why this is happening. He's someone completely needs to talk in it as a day player. In two fa- someone should have been talking to Jim Bowen's agent going, he absolutely shouldn't be doing this role. I actually... I think it's more likely that it's the agent who's put Jim up to doing it because he wants a bit of extra cash. I think I think he's convinced it will be. He's convinced Jim it's good for his career. And he's going. I don't. Hey, I'm retired now. 
I just hey, I don't I don't care. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he, he's for this purposes of this he's not Gallagher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he he, is. Uh, Famously, I just want to sideline in managing like entertainers <laughs> in the eighties. Yeah. Um, because um, there's no way Jim and he looks like the man, like Dougie Dawson looks. Because he isn't the character, he is just Jimbo, and you're right. And he just looks like he's really regretting taking this role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's yeah. been bullied into it by management yeah. for the sake of a few hundred quid. Um, so and- anyway, he yeah he says, oh, I think I've seen enough, thanks for the champagne, I'm going. And Adam Klaus yeah. is trying to save it, kind of yeah. saying, no, no, she's crazy. I'm fine. If you talk to any of... If you talk to anyone else I've been with, and then he says about the girlfriend that got him the kimono that he's wearing. Who we met. Who, who we met at the very beginning of the episode. Who'd just come back from Japan. Yeah. The right. land of raw fish, as, as it's described. Yeah. Um, so Jim Bowen mentions that. Oh, yeah. So this is when we get definite clarification that he is a journalist. Yeah, I was going to say. Because he says he spent seven years in Japan for Reuters. So, I mean, like, <laughs> How he is... far is your career fallen? Wow. You were a top, like... You, foreign you... correspondent. Yeah, like, you should now be editor for the BBC. Yeah. Like... Yeah, this is huge, um, and and now you're now you're writing into papers. Why? Yeah. To tell them what you thought this of a magician a... you saw on TV last night. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely no. It's just ridiculous. But yeah, he's a writer, and therefore can speak fluent can Japanese. Speak fluent Japanese. Uh, so and he reveals that the Japanese writing on the kimono that was given to Adam Klaus says he's lying something or other a lying piece trusted. of shit i think it's is that yeah yeah um and uh him jim bone walks out now underscoring this moment did you pick up on that i didn't did you not it's oh my goodness which oh, is no. famously chinese oh, no. which is famously <laughs> what people use to denote like films where they show like a yeah. montage of Chinatowns. It's, it's absolutely the most iconic Chinese sequence of notes. And well, they yeah, play and it. It's called chopstick style yeah. because it's two two notes either side of an interval. Yeah. Um yeah. I can't believe I missed that. Yeah. That's uh, utterly racist. To yeah to to to, to, yeah, to denote Japanese. Yeah. And also that's not a, that's underscoring, so that's not a commentary on anyone being racist. That's whoever the music supervisor is. Going, oh, East Asia's all the same, isn't it? Uh, yeah. China, Japan, <laughs> Korea, uh, it's all the same. Uh, it makes sense now that the, that the like, production designer actually talks like that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to the rest of the series. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a troll. <laughs> Lives under a bridge. Um, um, so, yeah, so that's it. And mercifully, mercifully, we are done with Adam Klaus for this episode. Is this the most Adam Klaus episode we've had yet? Because it feels like it. It yeah. feels like he's sabotaging the episode. Every time you want to try and get to what on earth this mystery is and why anyone cares about it. You mean, you mean plot? Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just keeps cropping up. Yeah, and there's uh, there's no no real reason for why any of that happens. Um so and we and we're still none the why I wanted to know about his two 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 months in France. I wanted to know about. Don't bring that up oh, again. Sorry, I'm still that. so upset. Um. So yeah, and then we have like this. That's the end of that, and then we go to Jonathan and Maddie have all have worked it out. Yeah. So we we get Mimi arriving at uh Robin's house. Yeah. Uh, and she 
comes in. He's like, "What are you doing here? Are you mad? You're gonna get, you know." And then his wife comes in, and she's like, "No, it's time she knew we're gonna be together." And Robin wants a divorce. And yeah. he says, "Oh, Mimi, can't you understand? I I can't get divorced. I don't have a life. I don't have a future." What you're saying? He says, "I murdered Ezra Carr in the most oh, like it is so over the top." I, at that point, I just wrote, "Robin admits to murder for no mystery." <laughs> For, like for no reason sorry and and like apparently that's the mystery solved for him is yeah. him admitting admitting to a murder yeah like what's that got to do with anything so, that like th- what's that got to do with anything uh, so luckily luckily fortuitously maddie and jonathan arrive at <laughs> she d- her she... house to give the reveal but the, <laughs> but it's weird isn't it because the I reason you that... laughing at her appearance yes because the reason that they're there to give the reveal is surely it's like they knew what just happened was about to happen because yeah. the reveal only makes sense if they know that she knows that Robin has admitted to the murder of Ezra. So yeah. why how they don't know that any of that's going to happen. No. But yet they appear and go, "Well, now we better explain it. You want you don't know what's just happened." So why are you talking as if you were there to witness what's just... It's and a also, massive continuity problem there. Jonathan's gone from making sketches about stuff for no reason yeah. in his windmill to Jim Bowen in a theatre yeah. to knowing all of what you've just said yeah. and everything we're about to hear for the rest yeah. of the episode. When is he... We haven't seen him work any of it out. Yeah. Like the montage we had was a locked room mystery about Maddie, which we still, as the audience, don't yeah. know the answer to. Um... Uh, and and actually, I'm convinced Jonathan doesn't know the answer to either. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I don't know when any of this has happened, and timeline line wise, it's really confusing, yeah. very frustrating. Yeah. So the so the reveal is, the reveal is um, that Jonathan it, it hangs on the fact that people would assume if you heard a name like Ezra Khan that it would be an old man, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a man in his late thirties, and he looks at Robin as if to say. Robin is the real Ezra Carr, yeah. which of course he is. He cracks bars, and he's and then he looks at Robin's wife and says, "Oh, why don't you fill us in? Probably something about maybe a father or a granddad that was particularly wicked." And then Robin's wife proceeds to tell us the most harrowing story in the history of Jonathan Creek, and it is yeah. so dark. I, 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 my jaw was just open for the whole time because I was like, I don't think we needed this. I, I, I don't I, think it needed to go here and it feels really uncomfortable. And I, I don't know yeah. what they're trying to... Because it doesn't feel like it's handled all that sensitively. It feels like it's done in quite a, a, glor- a glorifying way it's of indulging off, it? in this sort of macabre darkness, but it's actually talking about sort of stemics familial ancestral sexual abuse and i'm like i feel like this should be handled more tenderly than this very soapy almost musical theater levels of exactly. and i enjoyed it yeah which bill also sykes. Was so he was called a... bill wasn't yeah he was he was called bill because <laughs> he was bill sykes it um, was about her uncle just to be clear um who was 15 years her senior yeah um and when sorry wasn't no 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 no. she was 15 years old he was three meant to be three times her age three times her age so what's 15 times 45 45 which he was older than i mean he was well he was like seven (laughs) he do you remember like when um 
again, appropriate uh, conclusion. Jimmy Savile used to run marathons. Yeah. <laughs> That's how this character's dressed. Like, with that kind of weird long, but, but balding hair, but long. Yeah. And, like, liver spots, but tracksuit. Yeah, I kept thinking of uh, Steptoe. <laughs> yeah, it's like a yeah, like a step toe in a shell suit. Yeah, um, and so so she, and he starts to abuse her, but actually she was in love with him, mm. and so it's more complicated than you think. They do robbings together, and they go out and do robbings. Um, the on the rob, um, which is also kind of bizarre. It's not explained as to how like the family just okay with the uh, them living together, and I mean, I the uncle abducting that, the child. Yeah, or? there must just be no family for some. I mean, you know, yeah. But there's so much grave, harrowing detail, but none of which that actually makes contextual sense to the situation. And oh. she, like she just, I mean, credit to the actor who who really has to do some real work here yeah. with, with what is a very rattled off shabby cliched slightly insensitive and sexist script yeah um yeah it's it's not a great piece of work something i'm interested in are we meant to believe that jonathan had already worked all of that out because he doesn't act surprised at any of it and there is so much detail that there is no way no way he could have known i mean i mean gina bellman is more is closer to getting to the problem of the teeth than jonathan is about working out (laughs) any any of what uh, Robin's wife's been through. Well, well because nothing, because nothing that he's found could have alluded to, to the point of he says father or grandfather. Even that, I'm not sure how he's got there. Yeah. I don't know how he's got there. He's gone. He's worked out that that she is the one who killed this old man, and that that old man is not Ezra Carr. It's ridiculous that he's worked all that out. Let's, but also more yeah. ridiculous that he kind of takes credit for it after her harrowing story. He's yeah. like, yeah, see, I knew it'd be something like that. Did you? Did you think it'd be? Because let's examine, let's examine the things that he, that we know for a fact that he actually works out himself. They are the sign about Ghost Forge and the fact that he notices a similarity in the writing of Robin. Yeah. Because uh, he, because the whole reason Robin and Mimi met was because he won a writing competition in a magazine that she worked for. And she yeah. went and did a story on him winning. And, and Jonathan reads this. And notices very similar to that and the Gerald uh, Eastland novel. Yeah. That's it. That's, That's the those, those are the only two things that he works These out. These two people write in a similar way. Yeah. So that must mean his wife Murdered. killed her relative. Who was and an everyone abuser. Thought that, yeah. I mean, I mean, how has he got there? How Absolutely has he got no there? idea. Guys, I- I'm gen- genuinely, please get in touch if you can tell us because maybe we both missed something. But I have no idea how he's worked this out this week at all. But the facts on the ground, are, if we are to believe them, are Robin Priest was Ezra Carr. And the, the the skeleton, which was actually a fully fleshed out human who was meant to have died four years ago, but was seen recently by a dog walker, was this person called Bill, who was the Robin's wife's uncle, yeah. who was an abuser. And then we get this whole story. Uh, yeah, I was in love with my paedophile uncle Bill. We robbed houses together. And one day we decided to rob Ghost's Forge. Yeah. And then we find out how this murder happened. Yeah. Um, so she she knocks on the door. And it, it was my job to distract him, dis- distract the person in the house while he went round the back and nicked everything. I'm like, that's yeah. the worst method of robbery <laughs> ever, yeah. is yeah. seeing if you can distract a person <laughs> at the door while someone else goes into the house from the back and nicks everything. Like, how much are you realistically going to nick in? Like, yeah. uh, utterly bizarre. 
Yeah. But it's worked out well for them apparently until now. Um, and they get talking and he takes her into the living room and stands by the fire and tells them that he's this, tells her that he's this ghostwriter for Gerald Eastland. Yeah. Um, hence why his house is called Ghost's Forge. We're going to come to that yeah. pun later. Oh, God. Um, and... And she says, oh, actually, in that moment, I kind of fell in love with him and I had all these fantasies about him. But none of these... Fa- I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you having sexual fantasies about him? Yeah. Or do you mean fantasies about having a nice life together? I, I think d- that's... Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, basically... Um, fantasies I knew would never come true. Yeah, because, it's, it's, you know, it's Audrey I'm singing somewhere that's Nancy. green from... Yeah. <laughs> yes! As, or as long as he needs me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is... So, so that's happening, um, and then eventually Bill is round about Robin, and yeah. um, he's gone rather sensibly into a room with loads of Robin's previous wife's jewelry. Yeah. Who we or think Ezra was, should we sorry, say Ezra, of course, uh, who presumably wife passed away. Pictures of a woman on the mantelpiece yeah. from about 1936. Yeah, know, like yeah. it's like yeah. a Doris Day headshot. It's yeah. weird. weird. Um, and uh, and and he says, "What are you doing? Just put so- that back at once." I don't know what he's auditioning for. Yeah, but because also he's proved that he can kind of act all right in the rest of when he's absolutely fine in the rest of the episode. Yeah. But I don't know why there are th- like three lines that he does that are so Huge. over the top for no reason. I mean, I think at that point we've got to, you know, take the, that responsibility lies with Richard Holthouse, doesn't it? Well, yes, because um, you know, it's uh, it's his first JC episode. True. Well, Go easy on him. Well, will we? We haven't really no. so far. No. Um, yeah. So, so at that point, a struggle ensues. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gets knocked down the stairs. Ezra Carr slash Robin. Yeah. Uh, bangs his head, and um, it doesn't. Because Bill, this withered yeah. old I mean, Savile character, it, it's not enough stairs to have killed him actually or even really to have knocked him out it doesn't actually look that bad at all fewer stairs than jonathan falls down in the house of monkeys yeah (laughs) yes oh my god you're so right (laughs) jonathan gets a bit of a sort a bit of a stiff neck yeah after being taken down what is 150,000 stairs yeah and robin slash ezra falls down three steps and forgets his whole life yeah no and well, before that, she looks. She sees that happen, and Im- immediately, immediately knows that he's dead because yeah. you ki- you killed him. Yeah, doesn't check pulse. Doesn't just look. No, looks at him fall down a few stairs. Spoiler, he's and fine. Land. Yeah, and she goes, "Oh, you've killed him. What you've done? You killed." And he goes, ah, da, "I don't care." Runs back up to just keep robbing, and so she goes up, realizes what a wicked, evil man he is, and she stabs him in the back of the neck. Robin and, comes, and to, then he stumbles. To the window. Stumbles to the and window. And kind of squats there. Yeah. Like, I'm doing a bit of yoga now during this lockdown. And it reminded me of one of those holds where you just kind of have to go, <laughs> just breathe through it and just go with breath. <laughs> like, it's a really weird squatting kind of position with his yeah. face up against the window. Yeah. I don't um, know why he's died like that. But yeah, he has. And, and she's killed him. And it's kind of retribution. We don't feel that bad because yeah. he is a... a you know, a, a child abuser and uh, is a, you know, violent, domestically violent partner and her uncle. So what yeah. a nasty, and a robber. So a nasty man. Yeah. Uh, Robin arrives into the room. Yeah. Uh, has amnesia and decides that he's done it. Now yeah. I'm confused about this because did he get the amnesia once he arrived in the room? Because surely he has a memory of, of 
arriving into the room. Well, apparently, or, he, does he well, she think doesn't explain that, it. Does he just think he's he's stabbed him, left the room, fallen down the stairs, woken up, and seen what he's done? Is that what his train of logic is? Well, we don't know. Um, we just know that she's that he. He's, he, she says, all he could remember was a struggle with, and a knife, and now he's seeing this yeah. man who's stabbed. So he's assumed that he's done it, even though he woke up in a different room to the one that he's in. But also, what I, at this point, I was absolutely expecting Robin, who we know is now called Ezra, to pipe up and say, hang on a minute, because remember, yeah, we're seeing all the footage of this memory, yeah, but we're hearing... The voiceover isn't actually a voiceover. It's actually a woman it, in a so, room yeah. explaining to the person who who was there. Yeah. So why isn't he not, like, reacting to any of yeah. this? Maybe he's just in shock. I don't know. But rather yeah. conveniently for the story, he just keeps his trap shut. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then she she explains that she she told, she told tells him that she's his wife. Yeah. Um, and she says, you know, it was an accident. Um, but we've got to get out of here. The police will never believe that. We've got to go. Yeah. And she calls him Robin. She calls him Robin because it was the name of a boy that went to school yeah. with... Okay, I don't know where she got priest from, but fine. Robin Priest. Yeah. Robin um, Priest. <laughs> really? You sure? You, yeah, that's your name. And we've been married for ages. Are you sure that's my... Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. Now shut up. Yeah. You killed him. So, yeah. So then... Uh, and then that's, that's that. And then we go back and he says... Uh, is that that? Have I missed anything well, about that? No, I'm just thinking, like, she says that the reasoning behind it was, was he, that he was won't... already sad because he lost his wife and was living alone in this mansion. So they could both be happy together. And, yeah, cause it, so it works for me because I can get away from Bill, who I've murdered, yeah. um, and it works well for him because he can get out of this mausoleum. She's like, yeah, I thought yeah. I'd get him out of that mausoleum. Like, bloody hell, if Nancy or Audrey had come out with the word mausoleum... Yeah. I'm bit, I'm like, well, okay, fair enough. Also, but... it's a lovely, nice, big mansion. He's, I don't know yeah. what. I mean, why lovely, you want to boring fire? That? He's a millionaire from yeah. writing all of Gerald Eastland's books. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, so, to be clear, Ezra Carr is Robin Priest. Is Gerald Eastland? Is Jeffrey Archer? Yeah. That's the. That's link. the. That's the link. That's um, the mystery. So, so then it goes back to uh, Robin's uh, and his wife's living room, and he stands up and he goes, "You programmed me." Like some kind of doll, and then he's about to like. Yeah, what, what kind of doll? Yeah, no, I don't know what. What kind, kind of doll? Of doll? I don't you know say some kind of, kind of doll. Yeah, like know. like the doll. Maybe actually, it isn't meant to be a real baby, and it's meant to be a tra- <laughs> one of those training babies that <laughs> like have indeed to be programmed. Like the doll we have. Yeah. <laughs> that we said. Like the doll that that we programmed to shit and piss. Unfortunately. We'll never know what he was going to go on to say because Jonathan decides it's appropriate to just completely cut him off in the middle of this marital breakdown. His whole life's been a lie. And Jonathan's like, yeah, 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 that's fine, Robin, mate. Leave that till later, basically. And I'm like, what? I've written here, JC interrupts the grieving process (laughs) to clarity, clarify the reveal for us. Like, Like, absolutely barges in. And also quite out of character for him. Read the room, Jonathan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Not the time. His whole life's a lie. Absolutely. I, I wet myself. It was just so brilliant. dreadful. Because it literally was an interruption. And he actually... And I feel the actor looked quite annoyed. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. is this Alan Davies just going off script? I've had enough of this. Like, Come on, oh. we should be in the pub by now. Yeah, I've got to be in the pub. We're going to wrap this up early. I'm meeting Simon Day for a, <laughs> for a line a, and a pint. <laughs> it's 
between them, it's all one take. <laughs> yeah. All filmed chronologically. So, one and done. Get yeah. it in the can. Um, yeah, so that happens. Now, we've not really talked about Ghost Forge. We need to talk about Ghost Forge, the, as in why the significance of the name. Because it doesn't have an apostrophe. Yeah. So, and he likens it to Finnegan's Wake. So immediately from halfway through the episode, I've been like, oh, right, yeah. Ghosts Forge, because it's a ghost writer that's forging things. Yeah. No, 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 no. It means ghosts for GE stun Gerald Eastland. Which is which is what? so much harder work. What? To no, make it doesn't. Fi- it's Ghosts Forge. It, ghosts Forge, as in Finnegan's Wake Up. Yeah. Ghosts Forge, forge. the identity it's, of a writer through ghostwriter. Yeah. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. But, yeah, I and I didn't... I, but ghosts for GE, I hadn't remembered that. No, I'd remembered no, it. I'd remembered it the better way, <laughs> which is makes better. more. Sense. It is much better. Your way is a lot better. Um, and but yeah, for GE, what a weird thing to do. Like, why would you do? I don't know. But also, it does. All that does is tell us that that Jonathan knew he was a ghostwriter, but it doesn't explain how he knew that the person who died wasn't no. Ezra Carr. It doesn't explain. That who the old man was, and no. that he knew it was an abusive uncle of of yeah. Ezra's wife, who had actually never been his wife and isn't his wife, um, but had been pretending to be. It, so, so it doesn't really help us understand anything. So I don't know why the whole thing hinged on that. But I remembered this episode all hinging on that, yeah. and now I just know that it's absolute rubbish, waste of time, it's killer. Yeah, yeah. it's absolute nonsense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that is that's kind of the whole thing, isn't it? Um, that's the mystery solved. Yeah, that's the mystery solved. Um, it still doesn't tell us why they'd been involved, but also there's this kind of weird thing where she's saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, but I didn't want to tell you," and 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 Jonathan and Maddie kind of be like, "Okay, I think we should leave you to it," and then. Mimi, who's in love with Ezra, who yeah. she's known as Robin, yeah. who thought was a sales rep yeah. and, a, a, you know, burgeoning amateur writer. And she goes up to him and kind of romantically grabs his chest Nuzzles and goes, oh, into him. 20 she... years is too much grief. Yeah. And I'm like, for, for what? Sorry, what? What are you referring? Are you referring to the grief of your dead wife that we didn't really learn about? <laughs> yeah. like, you don't really know about this. Yeah. We only know about it because there was a close up of her picture on the mantelpiece. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we made the same connection from the actions of but you haven't seen any of that <laughs> yeah. because you were in the room. Yeah. You weren't seeing the flashback that we were being told. Yeah. So I don't really know and why is that her takeaway? Yeah, Rather than know. oh my god, you're the, yeah. clearly we need to reassess because yeah. you're still grieving for a wife and this isn't your real thing. This is all fraudulent. Yeah. Like no, she's not going to jump into bed with you now and why is that your aim? But it turns out she doesn't really care that much because Maddie goes before they leave. Oh yeah, me, me. Sorry, you're probably wondering how I did that disappearing trick at the house. Yeah. And she goes, actually, yeah, I am. Completely forgets the gravity of the situation. Yeah, completely doesn't. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Like, like beaming, laughing about. Oh yeah, how did you do it? Like, have you not? Have you forgotten everything that's just happened? Yeah. And then Mandy goes... What, you go, no, absolutely, I don't care about that. Yeah. My, this person that I'm in love with, I've just found out as amnesia and is a completely different person. I'm, like, when you're dealing with all this stuff, I don't care about how you did that thing. And also, why is Maddie? Because then she says, oh, I bet you're wondering. I bet it's killing you. She says, yeah, it is actually. And he goes, good. And then walks yeah. out. Why is Maddie's, like, modus operandi at this point to annoy Mimi? Yeah. Because she's... 
she's imagining that Mimi's just this person who life goes well for all the time and is a bit jealous of and spiteful towards. Yeah. But actually now, Mimi's someone, quite rightly, as you said, is in love with someone who's just found yeah. out that they're not that person. And it's, yeah. why is Maddie dealing with that? And why, why do both of those characters care about that thing? It's beyond me, but also it makes me like Maddie less, which is a yeah. problem because Maddie is basically the main character of the show. Like, yeah. we need to care about her. And yeah, it, 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 it's a really poor, poorly uh, judged thing. But we then go back. They leave them to it in this council yeah. house. Who is the council houses, by the way, that they live in? I don't know. Where does he work? <laughs> He's worked as a sales rep for the last 18 months. I mean, wh- where d- there's no logic to that amnesia, but they no. let them get, get also, on with what they've also, got. Also, are we going to call the police? I mean, she's a murderer. She murdered, like, but also... Yeah. There's the morality thing of, well, he was a, a, an abuser and it was like he sort of uh, had it coming kind of thing. But then yep. also there's the ethics of like the rule of law and she did still commit a crime. And we, no, we're Who's not going to write up this story we're because not gonna delve you've now got two different that. investigators yeah. as well. Yeah. So are you going to co-write this story together? Because nah. nah. you always do a follow-up. Oh, no, it doesn't matter this time. No, no, it doesn't I'm matter. glad we're all just wasting our time. Yeah. Uh, frivolously so, yeah. so they leave them around. to all just get on with their lives after dropping this bombshell. Yeah. Um, and go back to the house and maddie um reveals well no sorry jonathan reveals to maddie how she did it which is supposedly and i think i've just worked out why you said it was important about the makeup on her face that's i've just got that that's absolutely ridiculous so yeah so mad so jonathan says maddie he worked out how maddie did it disappeared because she knew when the noise in the attic happened where to go straight away that she knew a door would lead to some stairs up to the attic and he said you could only have known that if you'd been to the house before so he says you must have gone to the house a few days before talked to some builders paid some builders to plaster up a door so that she went into a cupboard so it's actually there's two identical doors next to each other one's to the hall one's to the cupboard from the outside they've plastered up um sorry from the from the inside they've plastered up the door to the outside so you can only see the cupboard door so from the inside you think the door to the outside is actually the door to the cupboard right but as i think you're suggesting they went the very next day after they found out about this mystery so yeah. when did she have the time to go Absolutely. to that house none of because that happened none of that happened, none of no, that happened. No. because it had to have happened the next yeah. day for her to not have fully showered off well, I suppose, I mean, you've got to remember Maddie's a ghost, so she doesn't exist on the same temporal <laughs> oh, plane that God. we exist on. So she oh. could have done. Because she's, I guess, omnipresent at this point. Now, your pedantry about Maddie having died in, in the <laughs> rubbish chute is now helping my brain calibrate the sense of the world of Jonathan Creek. That now, now I'm into a state of lockdown madness I don't think I'm going to get out of. Um, yeah, I mean, so none of that happened. And it's all a lie. And also, I don't really understand, even with Jonathan's brilliant brain, that he went from calling her, calling the police to announce her disappearance before trying her mobile phone, to then about 30 seconds later going, oh, you didn't. How would you, how would you have done that? Oh, I can't believe you did that. So we worked it out straight away. And in that space of time, he went, oh, you know, I know she's done it. She came here before <laughs> any of us knew about the mystery. Yeah. Paid with all her millions from being a famously unsuccessful writer. Yeah. Paid builders. I mean, yeah. this is a woman who can't afford money for the no. toll bridge or the, like the chip here. The reason they did it was because she told them a, 
the stories about Mimi and how annoying she was. And yeah. I was like, I don't know. I don't think they would. I, I don't think, think they find it hilarious. Yeah. More than a stranger's story about another stranger. And do you know how much money it would cost to block up a door yeah. and then put yeah. it back again it back afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. So also, why were they there? Yeah. If it, okay, it's being reclaimed by the state. How do you know? None of that happened. No. Absolutely none of that happened. No. And I don't know why she takes over telling the other part of the story when... Yeah. He's the one who's already meant to already know. Yeah. So this is only for the benefit of us because both the two characters in the scene know how it's done. Yeah. So who, who, <laughs> yeah. why are they having this conversation? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ridiculous. Um, so anyway, that's that. And then he notices a hose pipe and he says, what's this for? Lovely, lovely bit of nostalgia here with the hose oh, pipe. Did you like that? Um, well, I actually had the same hose lock uh, design uh, in my garden that yeah. I would often water the plants. Much this time of the year, um, well, not normally this time of the year, because in April, actually, it wouldn't normally be this yeah. sunny. Yeah. Um, but it's it's this sunny out of... The world taunting us, yes. isn't it? Spikes, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I have watered the gardens with that exact hose lock. And we got it from a shop. I don't even remember this guy's shop called Great Mills. Um, there were a few mm. of them, and they were all bought out by B&Q. And they became B&Qs. Mm. And then you had either B&Q or Home Base, and that's where you went for your garden hose. But this was a, a hose lock design available from Great Mills. Um, so, a oh, lovely, lovely bit of nostalgia there. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. And <laughs> she uh, explains that the hose pipe is uh, for the... The window box. The, yeah. Which the she doesn't box, have. Which she doesn't have. Uh, and then we hear the marching band from New Orleans are back. Playing the same song. Playing the same song. And she says, oh, they're in the road this time. So that confused me as to where they might to have been before. Oh, the recording studio. Yeah, we, yeah. Right. Because she um, lives above a, a New Orleans studio. Because, it, yeah, anyway. Um, and so she gets the hose and douses them all. And then she looks up. And, of course, it's not the New Orleans marching band. It's it's a different New Orleans marching band that are a funeral march. Playing the same a song. A New Orleans funeral march now playing the same song going down the middle of the road. Follow it. Like, with pallbearers yeah. like, carrying a coffin. Yeah. So she's destroyed this funeral march. Um and they're Funeral all procession. they're all distraught, aren't they, David? They're all really sad, and it's meant no. to be awkward. No, no, what's happening? No, um, half of them are laughing. Yeah, because I, I again, I don't know why. It's his first episode directing, but still, why hasn't anyone told the one guy in particular that is wetting himself, <laughs> laughing, going, pissing himself? This, no, this isn't the reaction like, you're, you're meant, meant to be having. You're meant to be mortified. Utterly bizarre. Utterly bizarre. Um, and that's and that's the end of the episode. I cannot believe. And we... how did she go? Oh, they're in the road this time. Oh, so you've seen them, and then yeah, but you didn't see. <laughs> but you didn't see that they were. They were carrying a coffin. Oh God! Like the logic of where the lines come in the continuity of the shots. Like I don't know who to blame. Well, I do know who to blame. Everyone, everyone involved. Like no one is putting their weight. No one is clearly sober on that shoot. How have we spent an hour and a half talking about this episode? I mean, we haven't got a lot wow. else to do. In all fairness. Um, my God! <laughs> but it really is just from start to finish a complete and utter waste of everyone's time. <laughs> it's not a good story. It's not a locked room story. Oh, I sense a locked room mystery. Oh, a hermetically sealed house. No, all of those clues to make you think that there's a mystery yeah. is just to troll you because yeah. there yeah. isn't a mystery. To be clear, Maddie's trick has nothing to do with the solving of the main mystery. It has nothing to do with anything. No, other well, we than her trying to get one on up that. on. We spent, I would say, more of this episode, if you added it up, is on Maddie Magellan's own little mystery she devises herself. Yeah. 
and Adam Krause's storyline yeah. than, than the actual quote-unquote mystery of this story that isn't a mystery ever. No. It never turns into a mystery. It's just a thing that happened. Um, and and then a very unnecessarily harrowing story that's just dealt with really badly. I mean, my notes for that whole monologue she does are just, Jesus Christ, that escalated quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it <laughs> did. Like, what? In all fairness. Uh, absolutely shouldn't have been there. Um, so yeah, complete waste of time. Um but and it's you know, it. and I'm annoyed because I really, I really like this title when I saw it was coming up next week. I was like, oh, I definitely like this one, and I think it was because the Finnegan's Wake reference made me feel like I was clever. Yeah, that's why. I think when I was a kid, my mum had always told me about because she's Irish, and so yeah. she's always telling me about Irish writers and how great James Joyce and all of it. You know, all wonderful Samuel Beckett. And... Do you know? Do you know who isn't a fan of uh, James Joyce and Finnegan's Wake? <laughs> Jonathan Green. Jonathan Green or David Rennick, apparently, because he says. Oh, have you ever read Finnegan's Wake? No. Oh, no one has. It's practically unreadable. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Calm down. I mean, it is famously quite dense, isn't it? And um, and James Joyce's stream of consciousness kind yeah. of writing yeah. experimentally. But that's still kind of tough to slag it off. No. And also, if anyone in this universe would like that type of thing, it's you, Jonathan. Yeah. And also, and also, like, famously one of the most successful books of all time. So, yeah. yes, people have read it. You haven't read it, David Rennick. Yeah. Because you've been too busy misunderstanding cultural pop reference pop cultural references <laughs> and being racist um so yeah. there we go there we are that um, was ghost's forge yeah an uh, hour and 35 minutes absolutely I hope, hopefully it was worth it for you i think it's definitely i feel a lot better yeah this, this episode has definitely been like therapy i think getting it off us. our chests yeah no it's been good um so <laughs> i'm glad it's more for us than you that's the main thing absolutely um uh, a reminder that uh, we do have our Patreon. Um, so alongside our weekly Jonathan Creek episodes, we're having Patreon episodes coming out every Thursday. So we have a few more lined up. But yeah, do... We've already done uh, Tales of the Unexpected, mm-hmm. um, the big hit, yeah. 1998 Mark Wahlberg yeah. film. I we, mean... watched, we watched it so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't watch that. Um, and yeah, and we've got some great stuff coming up. Um, so again, uh, follow the link. It'll be in the description on this episode to our Patreon if you've got spare money, do chuck us a fiver and we will do a podcast about literally anything. Anything in the world. Um, so all that remains to be said is uh, you can, as always, get in touch with us via Twitter mm-hmm. at uh, Macabre Podcaster. You can email us at podcastermacabre at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, at podcastermacabre.com. Uh, .fb.me you can uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts on Spotify on Google Play wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, in the meantime I have been David Chopland and I've been Callum Hughes this has been Podcaster Macabre thank you and good night bye bye